It's time for episode 163 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, November the 16th, 2016. Clockwise, four people, four technology topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, where the arrow of time always points us forward. I am your host, Jason Snell. And across the internet, from me, it is another guest host as Dan Morin continues his travels. It's co-founder of Relay FM, proprietor of 512 Pixels, Stephen Hackett. Hello. Hi, Jason. We do a podcast about space called Liftoff Together. We do. do you want, can we talk about rockets today? Nope. Okay. Instead, we're going to talk about technology things. And to my left, one of our two fine guests, it is Allison Sheridan. Hi, Allison. Welcome back. Hi, how you doing? And to my left from the Disruption Podcast on Relay FM and Senior Editor at Mobile Nations, Micah Sargent. Hello. Yeah, happy to be here and back with Allison for another episode of Clockwise. Third time you've been paired together and I, it, it, it seemingly at random and yet you're just like magnets or something. You just, you, you can't, the universe must have both of you on Clockwise together. I thought it was in our contracts. <laughs> yeah, remember? That's the way I read. Let's get started. We have four topics in less than 30 minutes. I'll start us off with topic number one. Uh, we're going to get on down to Donkletown. I am curious as we go through, especially people who are using Apple products, another port transition as Thunderbolt 3 and USB-C come into the the line. The MacBook started it. The MacBook Pro continues it. Presumably every Mac introduced next year will have a USB-C connector. Lots of adapters are required. Apple cut the prices on adapters for a little while to the end of the year. Um, I know people who don't even need the adapters who are buying them because they're cheap and I'll use them eventually. And so I wanted to ask you about adapters. What ones do you find yourself using regularly, if any? And are there also ones that you keep around just for a special occasion when something needs to be adapted? Allison? Well, I started thinking about this when, uh, you know, I've got a MacBook Pro that's got a Thunderbolt adapt or a Thunderbolt port on it that I had to buy a bunch of adapters for back then. Everybody's losing their minds about it right now. Like this is new, but I mean, I've got the VGA and the DVI and I don't an Ethernet. So when I got my MacBook, I immediately bought an Ethernet adapter and uh, for for the uh, USB C port. When I bought another one now for my new MacBook Pro that's coming in because I got to have one for the, for travel. Bought uh, two USB A adapters for the USB C, and you know that seems uh, rational. But the thing I actually use the most on my MacBook is I have a Juice Systems adapter. It's a five-in-one adapter. It's got two USB 3.0 ports. It's got uh, pass-through um, power over USB-C. And it's most importantly, it's got the SD and micro SD card slot. So it does five things and it's really slick. It's a little discrete thing that slick, sticks on the side of your Mac and it's color-coded to match your Mac, and it's not a big... You don't think dongle, you just sort of think it's something stuck to the side. And uh, that's the one that I use all the time when I'm traveling on the road. But uh, if I had to keep one, I guess it'd probably be Ethernet, believe it or not. No, I, I totally get that. Um, I ordered the new MacBook Pro. Uh, I have the one without the touch bar, so I've had mine for a couple of weeks. And the, the adapter that I've used the most is the SD card reader. Uh, you know, I have the USB-C to A1, which I'm using too, but the, the lack of SD card slot I, I'm, I'm finding to be pretty annoying as someone who does a lot of photo and a lot of video work. And uh, so I bought the whatever one was on the Apple website. You know, it's way too much money. Stick it in there and you can put your SD card in. And, um, you know, it's, it's a bummer because, you know, things are going to move to USB-C. Like I truly believe that this is the future, but 
SD cards are a reality and they're going to be for a long time for people who use not even like professional grade equipment, but even like consumer level cameras. And I know a lot of people take pictures with their iPhones, but if you're, if you go beyond that at all, you're in SD card realm. And so that, uh, that adapter has been uh, in and out of my backpack a bunch over the last couple of weeks. I don't know if a Thunderbolt dock counts as a dongle, but that's like, <laughs> the ultimate dongle, <laughs> the ultimate that is, yes. Uh, I use a Thunderbolt dock quite often, but, uh, other than that, I do have a Thunderbolt 2 Ethernet, um, that I have used on very rare occasion, uh, because again, the Thunderbolt dock kind of takes care whenever I am, uh, in, in a stationary position and mobile, I just use the Wi-Fi. Uh, but for iPhone, now that I've got that fancy schmancy new iPhone 7, um, I do find myself using the dongle that turns uh, lightning into my headphone jack. Uh, but th- those are the only dongles I, I have and use on the regular. Everything else is, um, you know, our, our cold, calculated wireless future. For me, it is very much the uh, – I do have a Thunderbolt dock that actually uh, is the, the ultimate dongle and that uh, attached to my iMac. And then all my uh, stuff is plugged into the, the Thunderbolt uh, dock that's down below my desk. So I can save on cord, cl- cl- cord clutter that way. Woo, that was hard to say. And, uh, you know, the, the, the most of the dongles that I have, most of the adapters that I have are iPad adapters. I bought a bunch when I bought my iPad Pro. I bought a bunch of adapters because uh, I needed to go to, you know, if I'm giving a presentation, okay, well, you need to have VGA in case they have an old projector. And you need to have HDMI in case you want to uh, pr- project on a new projector or a TV or anything like that. And then I got the USB adapter because you can connect to a microphone and things like that. And so I, I the, most of my adapters adapters that are that are uh, in my travel kit these days are actually iPad adapters using the lightning port rather than because I don't have a USB-C device of my own yet but um boy do I have lightning adapters all right uh so many adapters so little time we'll move on to our next topic <laughs> Allison what do you have for us well the only way this could fall flat on its face is if I'm the only one with a story my question is, do you have an embarrassing story about how you were dumb about passwords? Um, you were hacked or you should have been hacked. Um, I have a story and I hope you guys do too. So uh, I'm going to share a story that happened to a former coworker of mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Asking for a friend. <laughs> it was before the days of Slack. So we had a company IRC channel and this guy who's a developer was entering this string of text just over and over into the IRC channel. And, and it was just uh, numbers and letters. And it turns out that the display on his notebook, like the brightness was weird. So sometimes he'd open his notebook and the screen wouldn't come on until he logged in. He was running Linux, so email Jason. And what happened, he he had logged in, but the backlight hadn't come on. So he was just entering his login password to his laptop in our company <laughs> IRC channel, like six times in a row. <laughs> Uh, so we he he got trolled for that for a long long time. That's incredible. I, I love I <laughs> I love that. I'm actually I'm always concerned that I'm accidentally entering my password. I have some some trouble with my um, Macs my Mac at times with my external displays, and I kind of have to do a triple take before I enter in a password just in case I'm like I have my cursor in a Slack channel somewhere and my uh-huh. password's getting posted because my password is totally not cats are the best twenty one twenty one. Because that would be embarrassing. Uh, no, I, I 
I, you know, back in my day, I used to have one password for everything because I thought that was a good idea. Uh, but these days, I have a bunch of different passwords for a bunch of different things with one password. So I guess, yeah, the most embarrassing thing is that I really did. I did the the one password for all logins things. So my Neopets account and my uh, email account had the same password. And if anyone guessed that one, they'd, they'd have access to all of it. Uh, don't email me at toothlessfornow at yahoo.com because I no longer have access to that Yahoo account. Similar story to the old man voice that Micah just did. I used to use one single password or maybe two different variations on passwords everywhere. And I guess what I would say, Allison, that I find embarrassing is that I still use those in some places, but basically I've got like a two-tier system of passwords. I've got the passwords for things that I do not care about. And then for everything else, I'm generating a random, you know, password using one password and it's high security and all of that. But uh, but I still do use these passwords that I've been using for years on on services where I like I don't care. I, I just don't care about I, they want me to set a password. And rather than going through the trouble of generating a random password, I'm just going to type in the dumb password and if, if it'll let me. And uh, that's probably wrong, and I should probably not be that lazy, and I should generate strong passwords for everything. Um, I do share Micah's uh, fear of putting a password in an open channel. I don't think I've done that for a long time, but yeah, every now and then I had this feeling like I'm going to put my password in and tweet it. (laughs) Oh, that would not be good, but I I haven't done it yet. So it's only a matter of time, I suppose. Jason, you couldn't have done a better setup for my story. I swear we didn't, uh, we didn't uh, stage this ahead of time. Uh, My story is exactly like what you're talking about. I went through, uh, set up one password and I gave, I did uh, what my friend Bart calls the crown jewels. I changed all of those passwords to super strong passwords and got everything all down. and, And I looked through every single one and made sure only the stuff I cared about went to these new passwords. But one of the things I looked at was my Skype account. It's like, eh, you know, like 20 people know my Skype name. I can change that. It's not a big deal. So I didn't change it. It was the stupid one that I used everywhere on stupid sites that I didn't care about, just like you, Jason, except one of the stupid sites I had used it on was Gawker Media. Now, that was one of the earliest giant hacks. It's, you know, pales in comparison to what's uh, happened lately. <laughs> Yahoo. And but I uh, I had that dumb password there and I had that dumb password in Skype. What I had forgotten was that I had set up auto reload from PayPal on my Skype account. So I went to the gym and I came back and I'd lost $200. Now, the only oh lucky thing gosh. is that I happened to check my Skype account that day. I don't go in it all the time. So uh, my my rule after that was, I don't care if I do care about it. It's going to have a long password, whether I like it or not. And I think these stories are good because when you're trying to teach somebody about 1Password or LastPass and why it's good, tell those stories of how you screwed up, right? Because then... They're like, oh, so I'm not a dummy. You are too. (laughs) All right. We have two topics down. We have two topics left to go. Let me tell you about our halftime sponsor. This episode of Clockwise brought to you by Linode, combination of high-performance SSD Linux servers spread across eight data centers around the world. It makes Linode a fantastic solution for your server infrastructure. You can get a server up and running in under a minute with plans starting at just $10 a month, which now will get you two gigabytes of RAM. You'll also be able to choose your resources, your Linux distro, and your node location, all from their easy-to-use web-based 
database manager tool. You can easily deploy, boot, and resize those servers with just a few clicks. It couldn't be easier. And Linode servers offer industry-leading native SSD storage, powerful Intel E5 processors. They are the fastest you can get in the cloud market. And they have access to a 40 gigabit network, incredibly fast network at Linode with multiple levels of redundancy. There's even an API to let you easily automate tasks or develop custom applications in the cloud. And all of Linode's pricing tiers feature hourly billing with a monthly cap, so you're not going to get a surprise bill, even if you add in the add-on services like backups and node balancers. So, as a listener to Clockwise, you can sign up linode.com slash clockwise. That's L-I-N-O-D-E dot com slash clockwise. You'll support us and get $20 toward any Linode plan, and there's a seven-day money-back guarantee, so there's nothing to risk in signing up. Linode.com slash clockwise. Learn more. Sign up. Take advantage of that $20 credit, or just use the promo code CLOCKWISE20 at checkout. Thank you so much to Linode for sponsoring Halftime at Clockwise. All right, time for topic number three. Mr. Hackett, what do you have for us? So yesterday, we all woke up to an Apple press release saying that they were releasing... Designed to California, which is a, a a book, a photo book of hardware designs and pictures of processes and die cut tools and all this stuff from the last twenty years of Johnny Ives' work at Apple. And the company, it's it's a weird thing for the company. Apple historically hasn't been into its own past, even though that's changed more recently. There's a lot of uh, hand wringing over the price and why this is going on, and I was curious to see what everyone thought about that. Well, I don't have any hot takes to give. I think ultimately uh, this is what I saw a lot of people speculating about, so I'm happy I'm going first, so I'm not repeating everyone else, um, that this is kind of uh, his his last, is Sir Johnny Ives' last hurrah, or his, uh, you know, his, his work out in the open for people to see and appreciate before he does eventually leave the company. Uh, this was dedicated to Steve Jobs, which was the only thing that kind of gave me pause about that theory. But ultimately, yeah, I think that's that's what this is, is, hey, check out all this awesome work that uh, Apple did and that I was a part of while I was there. And um, I'll see y'all later. <laughs> and that's that's pretty much how I feel about it. it it's really expensive. That's, that's the only other thought I have. And I will not be paying that ridiculous price for the book. Yeah, I think the idea that this is Johnny Ives' uh, PhD thesis sort of turn in a, a little bit, I think, is part of it. Um, I, I do believe that how you react to this, talking about hot takes, is based on sort of how you're feeling about how Apple's doing now. Every you know, everybody who thinks Apple is having trouble will point to this as an example. And everybody who's not will point to it and say it doesn't matter. So <laughs> I, I'm not sure it's anything more than a Rorschach test of people's feelings about Apple right now. Um I, do, I am fascinated a little bit by the fact that Apple built this themselves, that even though there's an entire publishing industry and people have been making books for hundreds of years, that Apple took it upon itself to self-publish this book. But isn't that totally Apple? Uh, they, you know, they're their own editor. They're their own publisher. They don't need anything else. And the only other thing I would say is the scope of Apple today, I think, is the thing that makes this a little more than it would have been. Coffee table books are expensive, and they are showpieces. Art books can be very expensive. Uh, there's even a book um, called Iconic, which is a very similar book. You can buy that for $100, but there's a $250 version of that book, too. So, I mean, really expensive books are, are not a surprise. I think this one is uh, the kind of book that probably they would have printed a 1,000 copies and so 
only sold them in Cupertino uh, at one point. But given how the scope of Apple today, instead, they make them available online and in you know 20 stores around the world for whatever their print run is. And that's just that's the Apple today is there are certain people who will buy a $300 book of Apple design. And so they're going to let them. And, uh, you know, in, instead of having people just uh, trying to pay a thousand dollars for one on eBay in a few months. You know, I have the iconic book. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's not the $250 version because it was a gift from uh, one of my listeners. Uh, but it's uh, it's a beautiful book and it sits under my coffee table with all of the other coffee table books that I don't look at terribly often. It's really neat to bring out and show to people. I don't understand this book at all. I mean, it, to me, it's like Vanity Press, right? It's like here's my oh, yeah. summer vacation. It's self, book, it's self published. It's like a, it's like a, a like an iPhoto book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's that amount of vanity that they we've come to love and know about the company, and maybe it's the the still frames of those moving pictures of how they do cut out 3D aluminum, you know, do their 3D aluminum grinding and. And, you know, that's that they love those videos. So maybe they thought if they if they could just do it in photos, this would really compel us. And you know what? It's probably going to sell, which I find fascinating because um, I don't think I'm in the market for this because I just spent how much money on a new uh, 15 inch MacBook Pro. So I don't think I've got the cash around for this. One. So uh, I guess I'll just uh, go right to it. I did buy it, but I am sitting in an office that is half of it is dedicated to a, a collection of Macs. So it's it's kind of up my alley. I do t- tend to agree with the thinking that this is some sort of parting piece for Johnny Ive and, and maybe not from Apple, but maybe from this type of work. You know, he's he's an executive now and they brought in some other designers to help um, take care of some of the stuff he used to be doing. And I can see him moving more into a sort of... Um, you know, old school professor type where he's there to like solve problems and offer advice, but maybe isn't even there day to day. I I, I definitely get the the trepidation about like, why would Apple do this? This feels very introspective. Is it gazing at their own navel a little too much? But, you know, I think it's, um, it's something that happens in an organization where Johnny Ive has what seems to be unchecked power. Um, but it's important to remember too that you know in the press release they said that this was a project eight years in the making and Jobs was still at the company eight years ago, and uh, so it's there's that angle too. Like this started, surely Jobs was aware of it, and so I don't know if it's um, a big like red flag for the present, but I do think it's a it's a maybe a direction to look in the future that things will be changing and the the Apple the the executive makeup that we see now, you know, it won't always be there. Ultimately, something will change. And maybe this is a sort of the canary in the coal mine. Johnny Ive probably has a beautiful navel. Uh, <laughs> my question for all of you um, is about <laughs> force touch, 3D touch, force touching the press, 3D press, you know, whatever it's called. It's called a bunch of different things on a, on, in a bunch of different places. But it, it's it's the stuff that works to make the awesome new trackpads uh, feel so magical. It's the thing that lets you uh, do widget shortcuts from your iPhone's lock screen, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I saw somebody complaining about it recently, but it really does feel like that technology is getting more pervasive and we're all using it more and more often. So I just want everybody to, you know, take a second and really think about 
about how they use force t- force touch and force press. And uh, tell me, do you do you feel like you do use it? Do you feel like it's still at this point a gimmick? I, I want to hear uh, all, all the opinions, Jason. Yeah, you know, I um, I wrote a uh, I've written a couple pieces about this. I think that uh, force touch and three D touch are not used as well as they should be. Um, at least in the things that I use them for, I I uh, force touch on my trackpad. Like I would really like to do more with that on my Mac. I do have a Magic trackpad, and yet I find like what it's attached to to be nothing particularly interesting. So I, I you know maybe uh, utilities need to do a better job of tying into. It. Maybe that means the system needs to do a better job of furnishing APIs for them. But I've got it right here, and I never use it. And then as for 3D Touch on my iPhone, i got to be honest, the only th- time that I really trigger it is by accident when I'm trying to do something like delete an app, and I can't get the apps to start shaking because I pushed a little too hard, and so it thinks I'm 3D Touching the apps. And, you know, I, I've heard from people who use 3D Touch all the time, but the fact is most of the 3D Touch methods that uh, that are out there the, the, what they trigger is not stuff that I'm particularly interested in. Like I'm not the peaking and popping. It's like I'm not really interested in peeking at a message and then and and then popping it in or letting it go. I just load the message, and maybe that's just eight years of being trained on how to use an iPhone uh, that I, I don't want to change. I don't know. Anyway, so in the bottom line is the only thing I 3D touch for at all is the flashlight in Control Center because uh, <laughs> you can set the brightness, and that's great. So I'm really glad you asked this question because I just got an iPhone Seven Plus, like I mentioned, and I. So I've never had 3D touch before. And I wanted to approach this on my podcast about what maybe if you haven't looked at it in a while, you need to revisit it. Because I think a lot of people tried it out when it was brand new and the API was there, but nobody had written to it yet. So I went through all 158 apps on my iPhone and took screenshots of each one that did something interesting. Uh, 62 of them did something interesting and I'm going through all of them on my show and I've done a blog post about it. So I've got, uh, I, I forget how many I made it through, not as many as you would hope for how long this is probably going to end up being. But what I found was a lot of them had some really, really good stuff. How many times have you opened the camera and it's in the wrong mode, right? You open it up and you want to take a, a, a selfie shot. It's on slow-mo. You want to take a slow-mo shot. It's going to be in pan or whatever you do, it's going to be in the mode you don't want it to be. With 3D Touch, you can just press and jump right to the mode you want. And so I've been using that a lot. Um, the phone, believe it or not, I'm finding super useful to use uh, with that as I can, you press and hold and the first four entries are shown from your favorites list. So I'm usually going to call my husband, my daughter, my son, or the pizza parlor down the corner. So I've got that one ready. Um, I use Pocket Cast for uh, podcasts and just to play pause. I don't have to launch the app. I can press, hold, boom, I'm right into it. And what I'm realizing is I'm starting to use these and there's more than I am using uh, just because I've done this study. I've gone through every single one, looked at it and thought about it is I think these will be mostly useful for the things that are on your first home screen. Because if they're not, then I don't know about you, but I search anyway. So I've got to search to launch it. If I have to search to launch it, I don't know where it is to go through 3D touch on it. So I, I do think it's worth going through and testing all of your apps to see what they do now. Oh, one more shout out. Waze, amazing. Press, boom, go home. It's just like it's one finger swipe. It's fantastic. So I'm I'm actually in love with 3D Touch now. But I'm with Jason on Force Touch. I don't know what's for. I look up words sometimes. That's it. For, for me on iOS, really the only one that has stuck, and you, you just mentioned it, was play pausing podcast. I use Overcast, and there's a shortcut in there. For me, I find the even now it's been out for what like a year and a half. It's still 
unevenly used across apps. And so I find it like, just something I don't ever look for. Like, I don't ever try to see like what's behind there. And I think you've encouraged me to spend some more time in, in that space because now that iOS 10, they can put widgets back there and all sorts of stuff. But I didn't think Apple has sort of a metaphor problem. Jason, you touched on it where it, the long touch versus the press and if you don't have enough pressure and then you're in like the wiggling redirection mode like there's a lot of stuff that that they don't collide in ios 10 but they're really close to colliding all these different interactions and i think apple needs to think about how to clean that up and if and that's just on the phone if you take it you know to the to the ipad or some other device that doesn't have this technology then like they're locking iOS features behind those things. I mean I think the biggest example was the uh, the widgets or uh, excuse me the notifications in iOS 10 that you need to 3D touch to get actions on. If you don't have it you can like drag down, but that's a really unusual gesture in iOS 10. It wasn't even there in the early betas like I would be more likely to use it and explore it if it wasn't so frustrating to have it in one place and not the other, or even have it so uneven across my iPhone. So I think if Apple can tidy it up, if they can get more developers on board, then I'd be more interested in exploring it. Jason, I'm so glad you brought up the trying to delete things, make them wiggle. I have not yet been able to make anything wiggle since I got 3D Touch. I I, I thought (laughs) they took it out. Well, Is there still, a way to do it? It's still there. You just got to lay your finger very gently and not press at all. Because there's another mode where you hold it and then it kind of comes into focus, but everything else turns blurry, yeah, but that's nothing too hard. happens. That's too hard. You can't do that. <laughs> I agree with, with most of what everyone's saying here. I think that, uh, yeah, the... the near collisions that Stephen touched on is absolutely true. And, and I, I see that a lot. However, and oh, I, I want to agree with with Jason as well. I think peaking and popping can go the way of the Newton because I'm not using, you know, peaking and popping into mail and messages and things like that. I, that doesn't make sense to me. Um, however, I am like super big into home automation. So don't hack me, bro. Um, and I use the home app so much. And I love the um, the control center uh, widget for all of my, well, I guess it'd be a control center panel for all of my different um, accessories. And I'm using, I guess that technically is peaking and popping. So maybe don't go the way of the Newton uh, to change brightness and color on my lights to unlock and lock my doors. Um, when it comes to home automation in that home app, I think the 3D touch or whatever it's called is fantastic. And yeah, I do use the the data detectors on macOS. I think for the most part, um, force pressing and force touching on Mac is still pretty meh. But on iOS, I I happen to use it quite a bit, uh, whether it be for the light bulbs or, uh, or rather for the the flashlight or mostly for for flashlight. home stuff. And <laughs> I would be sad if uh, I lost that opportunity to just be able to control my lights and their brightness and things all from one. Uh, harder press all right i think we've learned a lot uh and allison likes uh 3d touch and i don't but that's fine everybody gets to have an opinion i'll uh, i i admit most of my exploration of 3d touch these days comes by accident so (laughs) i'll I'll try to give it a little a little concerted time all right we have uh all four topics done just time for our bonus topic this is a quick i was walking around and kicking my feet in the leaves because there are piles of leaves all over my street because it is the autumn and i thought i would ask a simple question that i ask my own kids all the time to, to just figure out what they're thinking. And that is, what's your favorite season of the year, Allison? I live in Southern California. 
We don't have seasons. I like them all. They're all 72 degrees, uh, warm and sunny. For me, uh, I got to go with the fall. You know, here in the south where I am, we we have mostly summer and we have mostly winter and fall and spring or just a, a brief window into what the rest of the world experiences. Uh, but I love the gray days and the rain and the leaves and it getting cold at night. So... Uh, This is my happy time of year. This is my happy time. Here in the Midwest, we have all the seasons, and I love, with all of my heart and soul, fall. Um, I even like winter a lot, but fall is is the big one. Uh, Summer, I could... I don't like is way too hot. I just don't like being hot. Spring's okay, but fall is just it's the perfect crisp air and the leaves everywhere changing color. It's it's beautiful and it feels beautiful and I feel beautiful and the world feels beautiful. So that's why I like fall. All right. And I live in Northern California, which me affords me the great luxury of enjoying summer because it's actually warm, which, you know, I like. So I, I, I basically with Allison here, except we have a little bit more of a, a of a winter. It rains half the year, and the other half. Well, I remember rain. Yeah, <laughs> Allison doesn't get the rain. So, all right. Well, we have uh, done our duty. I think for this episode, all that's left is to thank our guests, Allison Sheridan, Nosilicast, and Podfeed on Twitter. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me on the Micah Show. I really appreciate uh-huh. it. <laughs> And from Mobile Nations and Disruption, Micah, thank you for uh, joining us. Thank you for having me on The Allison Show. It's been Uh, great. Okay, you two hug. And in the meantime, (laughs) we'll remind everybody else, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. We'll see you next week. Bye, everybody. Bye.